Hello and welcome to the next episode of DDR, the podcast all about your favorite drow, Drizzt Doerden. My name is Justin, and in this episode, we'll be diving deep into part four of Exile, titled Helpless, discussing all of our favorite plot points, characters, and more. And my name is Jeffrey. One of the things that we like to do each week is take a look at a couple of aspects of the book and how they'd relate to our favorite tabletop role-playing game, Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. Following along with the show is easy. Just grab a copy of the book, uh, read the next part of the book, and tune in every week. But remember, we want to hear your thoughts too. You can share your dim lights with us at drizdunright at gmail.com. Or, better yet, be part of the ongoing discussion on our very <laughs> own Drizzt Dunright Discord. The Discord invitation is linked in the podcast description. It's a place where we like to go beyond the page and dive even a little deeper into the lore that draws us all here today. If you raise an interesting point, we might just bring you up on the show. Absolutely. Totally. Awesome. Well, here we are, part four out of five. We're getting so close to finishing up book two here already. This is going so much quicker, Jeffrey. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. I've been good, man. You know, just getting used to the uh, early morning shifts and going through it. Just had a little bit of a stomach bug on uh, the oh, last couple no. of days. Oh, Yeah. That was <laughs> horrendous. No I mean, I'm happy it wasn't the Rona part, too. Uh, right. You know, I'm happy that I, I didn't have any major illness or anything like it. But, uh, yeah, it shut me down for a couple of days. Couldn't really, uh, oh, totally. you know, keep food down. And, uh, you know, you know me. I Look, I like food. I like to eat. <laughs> And so not having the ability to do so is sometimes just really, really saddening. That's discouraging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that but, uh, you know, luckily I got caught up on a whole lot of TV watching and sleeping at the same time. So, you know, oh, it's that's, good. That's nice. That that, yeah. that that part of it is nice. That's true. <laughs> got to make the most of it. Uh, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, she listens to these guys. We had to take uh, our cat to the vet. Uh, oh, no, Tahani no. had a little little ear scratch in her ear. So she had an infection. And uh, or irritation, whatever you want to call it. So they gave us eardrops and what the little like uh, (laughs) Like antibiotics. Yeah, but you got to give it a little syringe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Well, I have a scar on my hand from when I had to do that. I had to give antibiotics to our cat Momo, and that was the last time I gave antibiotics. I was just like, you know what, I'm done. (laughs) That was after. (laughs) That was after like at least a week of getting, giving antibiotics. And I was just like, that, if that's what you're going to do, then we're done. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you will have faith healing from here on out. There shall be no antibiotics. For those on YouTube, let me see if I can get a, a little, little light on it. There you go. Just a little red. Got me <laughs> right there. Yep. Yep. I see it. Yep. Well, and she didn't really get me, you know, thankfully my cats and, uh, you know, behind the scenes real quick for people, my headphones sometimes will turn off. So I'm going to wave at Justin if they happen Oh no! I'll be taking a second to reconnect. No big deal. We'll be able to work through it. But <laughs> so, you know, she's really nice. She doesn't really scratch me up much. So like, she's not a swiper, but when she got okay. me, it was because she was trying to springboard off and I'm trying to keep her from pushing. And it's like, oh. right. But, uh, you know, luckily Elizabeth's been able to help me. The, a two person deal with the cat is way easier than trying oh, yeah. to pin her down. Right. And get it. Yeah. yeah, totally. Totally. But what have you been up to, bud? Well, I'm I've been enjoying my seven days off in a row here. This whole shift Ooh. schedule thing is really nice. I mean, I work for four weeks and then I have a week off, and it's 
it's i mean it's awesome but at the same time i'm like itching to get back because i'm just like okay this is too much no, time in the house you know that's like, good because you get like what like a mini vacation but i mean you're you're oh, really yeah. crushing the hours for those four weeks when you're there oh, it's yeah, not like totally. you're doing a yeah. you know part-time six hour a day type job you know right yeah it's 12 hour shifts it's not every day or anything like that but it's like four days in a row of 12 hour shifts can really wear yeah, on you plus commute it's... plus everything I mean, yeah yeah yep it's a yep. lot so but um yeah, I'm also just like so excited right now because I was messaging you earlier when uh, mm-hmm. you were getting everything booted up that I was listening to the Zuckerberg give his uh, Meta Connect speeches and they announced, Jeffrey, okay. they just announced two hours ago the MetaQuest 3 VR system. I don't even know if I can call it VR anymore. It's like also um, augmented reality. and Okay. I went right on and I ordered it. Like I pre-ordered it. It's coming out in like less than a month. It's coming out October 10th. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm looking at it. I'm like, oh no, October 10th is my first day of four night shifts. And I'm just like, shoot, (laughs) I'm going to get it and it's going to sit there and I'm not going to be able to play it. (laughs) Now, is it just for gaming? Obviously you could probably use it for like conferences and like, uh, what, like movies or like entertainment. Oh yeah. Well, and that's what I'm really excited for because apparently you can just like, if you have an empty wall behind you, you can just like put a TV up there Hmm. while wearing the headset. Cause you like see your living room as it is. Because it has little cameras on it on the front, like seeing what you oh, see, right? That's cool, yeah, yeah. And so you see your whole living room, and you're just like, I want a TV right there, and you just like place it there, and you can make like it as you big minority as you want. report, whatever you want. Right, exactly, yeah, totally. Yeah. And I mean, nice. at least that's what they make it look like. We'll see, right, right. we'll see what it actually looks functionality like. functionality uh, of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but man, I'm stoked! I'm so excited. <laughs> I always kind of want that stuff, but like for me then too, I have the glasses and I always worry. I mean, before, before I had the, uh, right problem with my eyes. Now I have the uh-huh. prisms in my lenses. Like I always gotcha. wonder, like yep. I used to just take it off cause I'm nearsighted and I'm good. Right. But yep. like, how's that going to work for people who yeah. can't, you know? I, I mean, I know that in previous systems they've had, like you can special order your, uh, prescription lenses to insert get into out. the system. Yeah, that's crazy. And so, and so, you don't even need to wear glasses when you wear the system. Now, I don't understand why a system wouldn't be able to, like, you just like punch in your prescription, your... right, and then it adjusts yeah. to it. Well, I mean, um, you can do it automatically because a lot of times when you would go to the like the eye doctors, they use a it uh, sights in on your pupil. Oh yeah, totally right. So you'll look at a picture right. and it'll be like, Zoomp. yep, and it'll and automatically, it like, well, yeah. not automatically give you your prescription, but close. Yeah, exactly. It gets in the ballpark. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't know what uh, capability this system has, but I'm excited to check it out. So this is my first VR system. I've never had one before, but um, yeah, after getting this job, I was just like, I want to treat myself to something. This came along and I was just like, oh, that's kind of expensive. But I messaged Sarah, (laughs) messaged my wife, Sarah, and just to show you how awesome she is, she's just like, well... I know you've really wanted this for a while, so why don't you go ahead and get it? I'm like, I love you, I love you, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Like, well, you'll have to like let everybody know your official opinion when you are able to oh, kick totally. that off. Totally, Dude. yeah. Oh, I totally will. Awesome. Well, are you ready to put on your adventuring pack, bud? Let me put on my new VR system. Oh, <laughs> we can jump slide right it over. In here. <laughs> Engage that in for vision, bud. And now we bring 
the insight check, that little piece that we give you right before the start of the chapters. You know, what you get before the drizzt. Totally. <laughs> so we start this insight check, and the theme is helpless. Like Justin mentioned earlier, the, t- the name of the title, right? Yeah, I've, I've been calling the parts after the, the title of the the insight check i don't know if that's what he meant to do or not but that's what well no and some of them does for the first chapter a lot of it leads in like that or at least you know it's the what the theme of yeah it's like it's it's definitely the theme of the of the entire part that's for sure so the physical pains of a warrior in combat cannot compare to the conditioned flinch that a prisoner feels at the sound of the whip which cuts deeply into their soul we're all prisoners at one time or another, even if only to ourselves. Drizzt's youth in Menzo Berenson was such that he felt it could only improve. At first, he thought through sheer will of determination that he could stand alone with sword and principle and defeat that helplessness. However, looking back, he rarely stood alone. Zacnafane, Belwar, Clacker, uh, <clears throat> warning, some of these we haven't got to yet, yeah, what's Mushi, up with that? Bruner, Regis, <laughs> Cadbury, Wolfgar, and of course, Guinevar. Not only did they help fight the helplessness, rage, and frustration, they gave him life. So, <laughs> so... <laughs> you were wondering, go ahead. Yeah, so I've read at least the first two books of, at least the first book of the Icewind Dale trilogy. I know I started the second one. I don't know if i ever finished it and i know i never read the third one so i know i know brenner regis bruner, bruner. I, I might be saying it right i've always know, called him bruner know. bruner uh regis Cadbury, uh wolfgar i know them mushi i don't remember but it's like okay jeffrey did we do this in the right order yes <laughs> because what we're doing is going chronologically so right. if we'd have read Icewind Dale Trilogy, we would have met uh, Drizzt in mid-adventurer, you know, uh, path. Right. But now we get Drizzt as he starts, so that when right. we do hit Icewind Dale, it'll just be uh, part of his adventure, the next leg of that journey, instead of right. uh, jumping back and forth. Yeah. So we're gonna um, we're gonna attempt to follow these uh, as we go. I, I guess chronologically is gonna be the the proper way to say it. But uh-huh. in the way it should be. Like, you know, you don't watch Star Wars 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. You can. That's true. Right? It's going to be a little different. But you can watch it out of order to get the best viewing experience. Right. Well, then, so. well, with that thought, should we not have started with the Icewind Dale trilogy? Well, no, because like St- I said, started with the when original we and then, do because... get to Icewind Dale, we'll know, like, that's year 110 for Drizzt. Instead of meeting Drizzt at 110 years old and then going back to see him born. Yeah, no, I, I just mean like um, Icewind Dale was written first. Right, technically. I yeah, mean, not yeah. technically. <laughs> yeah, it was written first. Yeah, so then I was just thinking like, well, if you're bringing Star Wars into it, I mean like the original <laughs> was Star Wars was episode four and so on. But yeah. Right, anyway. that's what I mean though. But if you watch <laughs> them by year, you'd be watching four, five, six, one, two, three, you know, and then seven, eight, nine. So everything would be oh! out of order. What we're doing is taking them in order of the day. I got you. I got you. I got you. We're saying the same thing, but your Star Wars Episode One is different from my Star Wars Episode One. Right. Well, no, no. I'm saying. I, I no. I, but I think we're saying we're good. 
<laughs> We're confusing ourselves. This is not a Star Wars podcast. This is a Driz Doherty podcast. <laughs> but that is the insight check. Awesome. <laughs> so then after the insight check, having given them that tender morsel wrapped in a Star Wars analogies, let's get down to the Drizzt. The Drizzt is the part of the show where we take a look at the next part of the book and give you the Drizzt of it. So we start with chapter 16, Insidious Chains, and this begins with Clacker coming to consciousness inside of a castle in the Illithid community. And so he can't really see too well. He's kind of coming out of it dazed. But he mm -hmm. sees Durger, goblins, deep gnomes, and several other races. He's still kind of foggy from the psychic blasts. He knew that the Mind Flayers knew, though, that there was more than meets the eye to the Hook Horror. Their attacks had weakened Clacker's resistance against the Polymorph spell from the wizard, and he kind of like struggled to keep control. That's right. The Illithid, though, they weren't fools. They wouldn't keep something that large inside of a, you know, tight quarters. They kept him, the slave society, although that they had, always has a place for everyone. So they put him on this giant stone island that's about 50 yards around, and it's surrounded by a large chasm. He's surrounded by several gray dwarves whose mind had suffered too much damage from the Illithids, and they, they sat staring off blank-faced at nothing waiting their turn for the supper table of their cruel masters. Oh. Yeah, when they said that, I was like, ah, that's that's rough, because I was thinking cannibalism first off, but we will, we will get to how that goes. <laughs> so Clacker's pacing this island looking for a way to escape. There's only one bridge, and it would recoil when not in use. He could feel the assault of these mind flayers as they arrived with a burly ogre slave. He realized the purpose of this island was for him to be a shepherd to the flock. They wanted a gray dwarf and a roth. So he went to work. He quickly dispatched them with little resistance and he felt a curious emotion of satisfaction. He noticed that the motion of the lever to activate the bridge, but he didn't really understand any importance of it. He saw which way it went and just right. kind of yeah, he, no he noticed that off. in order to activate the bridge, it had to the lever had to go away from Clacker's point yep, of view towards like away the from him right <laughs> mm -hmm. that's pretty important <laughs> but he doesn't know why he just right. sees it that's yeah. why I, that's kind of neat kind of like foreshadowing yep. but not really like coming out to say why so he felt a command of come to me and he might have tried to resist if he saw any point he walks halfway and was commanded to drop the kills and walk back at that point he tries to resist but he felt the rage of a hook horror in him but his patch thoughts let him realize that even if he made it past the ogre, well, the mind flayers would just pull the bridge back and drop him. Yep. So he goes back to the island, commanded to eat, obediently slaughtered the nearest Roth and lost himself, and the hook horror took over in a feast of blood and meat. But there was still a small patch voice wondering about a Sverk Neblin and a drow. Then we shifted to Belwar. He caused, uh, caused, caused <laughs> quite an uproar at the slave auction. Because he did two of the things that were most sought after by the mind players. He could work stone. He could fight in the arena. Right. A large ransom was paid by three mind flayers who led the party that captured all the companions. Suddenly he hears the voices do come out from his new master. He wanted only to please his new master. 
so he moves with no hesitation. He walks through this portcullis, and every time I hear the word portcullis, I think of one of those Oh, totally. Just, you know, oh, totally. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> and as he walks through, he sees many mind flayers with their expressionless octopus face. Ugh. But the link let him find his master quickly. An ogre appeared from the other side. He was told that it threatened Belwar's master and was encouraged to destroy it. So he rushed at the ogre, and the ogre was told the same thing, so it rushes at him. Mm -hmm. Belwar uses his cagey veteran tactics to change the battle, so to speak. Uses his size against, or lack of size, right. against this giant hulking beast. And then, much like when Drizzt found the, the basilisk, he topples this giant, runs up its head, and he starts trying to yep. lose his fury on it. Totally. Until he heard a command to stop. The ogre was dead. The mind flayer realized that the body was part of the deal, and there's no reason to ruin dinner. Then we shift to the hard right. elithid castle. <laughs> yeah, I was like, again, here I am on the cannibalism. Like, what are they going to cut him up and just put him on a <laughs> you know, we got ogre steaks? How's that go? He's like beating the ogre in the head like, oh, they probably want to eat its brain, so. <laughs> yeah, there's not going to be much. It's like maybe it's a pate treat at that point. Right? <laughs> so then we shift to the heart of the Illithid Castle where a huge tower, each level, housing several mind flares. But at the bottom was the most important being of all. It's this giant central brain. How creepy is that? You know, I, I read these books, Kotas, and every time I read it, it's always like, oh, right, right, the giant. Yeah, right. Giant. I mean, Oof. like, playing D&D, &D, like, I don't know that I've ever used a Mind Flayer before, but I've known about them for a while, and I've heard of them in other games and everything. See, right. Do we see them in... Oh, my gosh. Of course you see them in uh, uh, Baldur's Gate 3 as well, but nothing so far that I've seen, because I haven't played very far... <laughs> Haven't seen a central brain yet, but yeah, that's really creepy. Well, it's nice because it's like what twenty feet in diameter, and it's yeah, like, it's huge. It's massive. It's not yeah, and this brain is basically their god. Right. Only a few slaves were allowed within this tower. Those with delicate fingers. I could that could massage mas it. <laughs> yeah, that could massage the illithid god thing and soothe it. That's... So naturally, this is where Drizzt is. I was like. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's weird. these knots appear when the brain thing is uh, feeling anxious or angered or hurt. Uh -huh. And then Drizzt feels this anger and anxiety. He needs this. That's right. need these knots out of the brain and it soothes right. it out. And so when the brain is pleased, he's pleased. Nothing else mattered in the world to him. He had found his purpose. Yeah. So, I mean, I found it interesting that that was slaves work especially considering that this brain was the mind flayers god right you would think yeah. that the mind flayers would would want to do that they would be they would feel like it's a privilege to be able to do that now i get so i'm a big fan of the wheel of time the show is currently on I, i've read the books and not to jump back and forth too much but they have uh these oh, slaves essentially uh servants called Gaishin and they wear these white robes and they do all the work in the place. They okay. walk around, they, they do the laundry. They, 
So I kind of, when I pictured Drizzt, I pictured him wearing like, you know, the servant robes of some kind. Okay. And he's walking around in like sandaled slippers or whatever. And he's just, you know, massaging away. He's like, there's, there can't be anything <laughs> threatening. Like there's no sharp objects on these things. And they're yeah, also guess. mentally cowed by the, the, the brain thing. But also there's just True, yeah. all these mental illithids, mind flares right. floating around that so always there's really have no risk. No, because they always right. have uh, control of your brain. It's almost like spices right. everywhere, and it's just affecting your emotions. And you're just yeah. all you live for. But even a guy as adept as Drizzt is just to make this thing happen. He loses all personal control yeah. to this invasive telepathy. It's like it's really kind of creepy when you look at it. Oh, totally. So then you have these. Three illithids that stand, marveling at the return of their investment from acquiring Belwar. And they discuss what other uses he might have. But his master from the arena was concerned only with acquiring more winnings. As they wondered the benefits of the three companions, they hold up this onyx figurine. Well, we've seen that before. Oh, no. They turn it over and they realize it's an entity stone. I did not know this thing had a name when we thought about it earlier on and we looked at it. An entity stone was really cool. Anyway, it's linked to the astral plane. So they worried that it might contain a dangerous creature and thought to observe it in its own plane of existence first. The mind flayer from the arena went to count his winnings and the other two, they prepare to do this thing where they take the journey of their corporal bodies to the astral plane. And they follow this kind of like cord, I guess, that attaches their being to Oh, the, yeah. Yep. So the we'll side. be talking so it's about like that. Silver cord. Yep. <laughs> so I thought it neat because you think about it like uh, like space travel, where they show the the you know you zip here and there through the the okay mm, speed of light. You know the what do you call it? The wormhole oh. they go into. Oh, so yeah, they yeah, draw yeah. it out. So that's kind of what I saw when, in my head when I pictured uh, okay. the, the yeah. cord that goes out, and they're just following following that. Yeah. And when they get there, they see Gwen. And it's Gwen's romping through a forest of starlight in pursuit of an elk. Right. And the cycle was endless. And this order and harmony that ruled the panther's existence ultimately ruled all planes of the universe. Not all creatures could appreciate an endless hunt. The creatures from the mind, like the mind flayers, they only thought how they could use the panther for themselves. And I thought this was really cool because I don't really, again, didn't know a whole lot about mind flayers, but to picture the fact that they can jump between the planes and just kind of go in there, like, you know, mm -hmm. what's over there? Yeah. Oh, hello. Well, from and just observe, like yeah. Well, from my from my understanding, they're originally from the astral plane, so they're honestly probably more at home there than in the material plane. I believe. Mm -hmm. I might be making that up, but I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I don't know, but it's like to think about the fact, like Drizzt, he had no uh, really uh, idea or concept of like how to get to to Guinevere's homeland. She just knows that she goes through the the fog into another part of the plane, right? But these things look at it, they're like, ah, we're not gonna we're not gonna call it. We're actually going to like backdoor and go over here. Yeah, and just, that's uh, really observe. cool. That is cool. So chapter seventeen, we go back inside the arena, and Belwar finds himself under the spell of his master and against a foe that seems well somehow familiar. However, this hook horror is much larger than Clacker. This battle is much closer than the last time we found him in the arena, and it almost cost Spellwar his life. His warrior instincts save him at the last moment. He manages to bludgeon his foe until suddenly they both feel a great affinity for one another. Their masters had decided on a draw. Belwar sits in his cell after the match, heavily battered and bruised. Recovery would take many days. The Mind Flayer bid Belwar to follow. They passed a kneeling drown. And Belwar thought, you know, it must be fortunate indeed to be able to 
bring pleasure to the brain in the community. The Mind Flayer led Belwar back to a room and bombarded him with suggestions and questions, attempting to dive into Belwar's mind and know everything he could about the Slurk Nebula, till it comes across this curious chant. Oh, Bivrip? <laughs> I didn't know Bivrip would be a chant. I think of it more like a, maybe a mantra or a word, you know? But... Yeah, just kind of like a, an activation word, you know? Yeah. What would you call it? Like a verbal component of a spell. Yes, okay. Sort of thing. okay. Yeah, that's how I always thought of it. Well, I guess then you would yeah. be chanting it. But I, yeah, like, anywho. Yeah, maybe. So the Mind Flayer then asks Belwar, ref- uh, asks about it, and Belwar reflexively tries to bang his hands together. <laughs> the Mind Flayer smiles to itself. If his champion were to go in the arena again, then a rematch with the, the Hookar was demanded, and he thought he'd be pretty well prepared all of a sudden. So then we cut to, well, Deenan? He's, well, he's riding his lizard mount like uh, at the beginning of the first right. book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this time he's not. Ha- he has no insignia. Secrecy is his ally. You never know who's watching, which is kind of like the first time. And That's then all true, of a sudden, yeah. well, you know, nothing like the first time these bugbears walk directly into his <laughs> path. Wait a minute. I've seen this play out. I before. think you, you started reading the first book again, Jeffrey. <laughs> I, well, well, no, because this time he's able to check his rage. He does not ride down the bugbears and yell about his station. <laughs> and then suddenly from the shadows, well, Jarlax will appear alone. Although, Deenan expected that Jarlax was never truly alone. So the two trade verbal barbs until he come down to business. Deenan wanted to know more about Zincarla. Jarlax wonders if Deenan, uh, if his visit was official from Matron Malice. So he pressed him further with questions. And Deenan wondered if Zack had been a spirit wraith too long. But Jarlaxle was quick to explain that it was for Lolt and Lolt alone to decide. Biffrip! Elwar bangs his hands together and sparks fly. His master is full of glee. He sent for direction, uh, directions for the cubby that it wanted in the corner, and Belwar goes to work. Stone explodes to dust, and the armor of a hookar would never stand a chance against this. Biffrip! This time, more of a question, triggering a memory in his mind, perhaps? Hmm. Drizzt? Suddenly, the name's forgotten with the next bang. He just wanted to please his master. This cubby has to be perfect. Drizzt kneeled before the brain. Running his ebony hands over it, he felt sadness. He poured water slowly over the brain. And he felt pleasure as the skin smoothed out under his hand. The brain, however, was busy warning the illithids that it had detected another drow intruder in the mm. illithid tunnels. Another slave to massage and soothe the brain, it believed. <laughs> it sent out four mind flayers to go capture the drow. Surely an easy task. Or so they believed. We go to chapter 18, and that drow, well, that's, here comes zombie Zack, still on the prowl. Mind flares have a neat little ambush set up, but their mental attacks, well, they don't really work against Zack because his consciousness is somewhere else. It's on another plane. Crazy. Which you think they would actually kind of know since they just went to the plane for Gronovar. I wonder, but anyhow, yeah. they think it's just this incoming drow. Well, zombie Zack walked off with the, uh, the gore still on his swords because he knew there would be more killing ahead. Oh, wait, let me cut back there for a second, jump through that. His mind's on another plane, so his swords make short work of the Mind Flayers, who fell in surprise as their mental attacks have never failed them before. 
but Zombie Zack, he still walks off with the gore on his swords because he knew there would be more killing very soon. <laughs> Why take the time <laughs> to clean it when... Can I get it dirty yeah. again in a second? Anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so we shift the scene back to the astral plane. The two mind flayers, there they are, they're peeping on Gwen, but they're unaware that the panther knew. Trist hadn't called many days, and Gwen wondered if this had something to do with the arrival of these creatures. So she waits for an opportunity to spring into action. She attacks the one mind flayer and follows the other one back uh, back through the, the court, through the astral plane, mm-hmm. back to the material realm. Then back on Stone Island, Clacker sees a commotion arise on the other side as Crisis clearly made its way to the community. Clacker sees a chance for escape. He knew he needs the bridge. How can he get the bridge? Up suddenly, he realizes if he could just hit the lever, it would actually move towards the wall and bring the bridge to him. So of course he grabs the nearest dwarf and launches it just short as it hits the wall, splats and falls all the way down to its death. <laughs> so then he grabs his next projectile, which is a young growth. But back to Zack. He walked towards the Mind Flayer community with no care for secrecy because, well, he knows the blasts can't hurt him. But his blades would definitely hurt them. Mind Flayers fell before him, then came their slaves to weigh him down, but well, his deadly dance continued. The Mind Flayers sent wave after wave at Zombie Zack to bury him under the numbers, but the dead slaves continued to mount. Meanwhile, Belwar and his master watched the bodies of two Mind Flayers returning from the astral plane. But... Only one was showing the signs of movement that normally accompany this. And then, suddenly, there's a panther on the lap of one of the Mind Flayers. And it kind of sends a memory into Belwar's mind. These memories are dangerous. They give the Burrow Warden too much of himself and allow him to fight off the order of his master to cut down the panther. Gwen dove to save Belwar as the Mind Flayer turned on the Deep Gnome. Belwar was bowled over as a whoop. I always think of that from the Zelda. Whoop. The little blue wand. Oh, I don't know. Oh, first Zelda, you would get the boo wand. Oh, shoot. oh it's been a long time since I played that one. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, shoot, I beat all the Zeldas. I should know what whoop is. <laughs> it's the very first one. <laughs> So Belwar's bowled over, but the blast is no use against the rage that Belwar felt as he was finally free of control. And I, I that moment was kind of cool because up until then, I've been reading over it as we go through a little bit as trying to be, I don't know, kind of schmaltzy, whatever you want to call uh-huh. it. They've been so under the control of these mind flayers that they haven't been able to exercise any kind of like, personal... Oh, no, like... Uh, not inflection, but anything that would show their own personality. Right. So to speak. Like they're gone. Yeah. They're gone. So, like the, yep. the uh, title of this part was what? Helpless. Uh, it's looking pretty I helpless. To put the name here. on the chapter, <laughs> but the part, yes. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's neat because up until here, they're just following orders and all they want to do is follow those orders and make everything right. good. And they feel yeah. great. And it's like, suddenly, Somebody pulls the plug, and Belwar is looking around, and he <laughs> is furious. Yeah. He's like, wait a minute, you did what to me? Right. You had me out there doing your bidding? And, and he just, just loses his rages out, and the, yeah. you know, the fluke doesn't, they can't 
slow him down. He's just off and running, basically, of it. So the Mind Flayer tries to chase the panther. <clears throat> when, uh, the Mind Flayer tried to chase the panther in fear for its god thing. But Belwar lashes out. 40 feet down below, the drow senses its master's fear. As it looks up, it sees a large panther spring into the air. He didn't recognize Gwen. It saw only the threat it posed as it dove into the soft flesh of the brain with her teeth and claws bared. 650-pound <laughs> panther, right? Could you, I mean, 20-foot brain, panther from about 40 feet up, 600 pounds, teeth and claws, flying down like That's a quite falcon trying to snatch its meal. <laughs> <laughs> and again, here's Driss, who is still in the throes of this central brain. And right. he looks up and is just basically the, the panic and horror grabs his heart. He doesn't even recognize his friend. He is so yep. well, he's under just the just entranced, throat. yeah. Yeah. So then we go to chapter 19 called Headaches. <laughs> About 120 mind flayers suddenly get a very large headache. When Guinevar plowed through the mass of defenseless flesh. Claws tearing and slashing through the gore. Drizzt ran and shouted as his master was being destroyed, keenly feeling the anguish that the brain sent out in waves as the panther continued to tear into it. Suddenly, Drizzt wondered where he was. What, what was going on? What the hell was in front of him? <laughs> yeah. The mind flayers, they're racing to find a way to attack the panther, and Drizzt suddenly caught a glimpse of his best friend. The mind flayers were so focused that they overlooked the slaves in their haste. They're they're trying to save their god thing. There's this giant panther in the middle. They can't reach it. You can't exactly fire weapons at it because you're yeah. trying to protect where what it's tearing yeah. apart. And they're not even paying attention to any of the slaves that they're losing control of all around them. Driz took advantage for even without his scimitars. His body was a weapon. Suddenly, the slaves began to revolt against their former masters in numbers. Amidst the chaos, Driz saw another drow being fed on in a gruesome manner as the tentacles of a mind flare worked inside oh, of the drow skull and feasted. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. man. That was rough. That was rough. Yeah. And that's when I was like, oh, dinner. Oh, right. They have that ability <laughs> to just latch onto your bro. Oh, yeah. my. Yep. Man, that is... <clears throat> And yeah, I, I think I I did uh, Mind Flayers as a dungeon delve back in the first book. And yeah, they, they have a, an ability where basically like if they capture you and manage to get mm -hmm. into your brain, it's instant death. Like there's no saving throws or anything like you're no, just No, because they're eating it. Yeah, exactly. They're like like oh. popping a straw <laughs> in, a, in a Tropicana juice. Just, mm. <laughs> <laughs> so Driz turns and looks for an exit and he goes out the door that he read and crashes right into another elephant. We cut over, and Zombie Zack continues to push forward, outside of the castle. The slaves who had rushed him were now free of the central brain and more focused on their own escape. The fall of the central brain had given Drizzt his identity back, but it also gave Zack a clear fix on his target. And with a guttural growl, Zack marched forward, killing anything that stood in his way. Without care whether it was a mind flayer, bugbear, goblin, or something else, Back on Stone Island, Clacker was continuing his carnival game of toss the rope at the lever and try to win a prize. <laughs> it took several shots, but eventually he hit it with one of the cow-like creatures. He scooped up another gray dwarf just for luck and headed across the bridge as it finished extending the island. That's just for luck. It's a good thing he did. <laughs> <clears throat> well, 
He made it about halfway until the first mind flayer showed up and he's caught in the middle. He realized he only had one shot. So he's lucky dwarf that he's got. He launches into the air. Sent it crashing into the mind flayer hmm. before it could reach the lever of the bridge. I guess Clacker had, had so many throws that right now he's you know he's all warmed oh. up and Oh totally. Pinpoint accuracy. <laughs> The distraction worked long enough for Clacker to be able to make it all the way over to the other side. The Mind Flayer came after the exhausted Hook Horror, but its greed cost it dearly as it tried to feed on Clacker's brain instead of just killing him. Clacker bit off two of the oncoming tentacles and he tossed the Mind Flayer to its doom. That's I was so like, cool. right, Clacker's face is a beak. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yep. He is a Hook Horror. <clears throat> Belwar searches the quarters nearby for his equipment. He saw the figurine of Gwen and picks it up. Then he paused to smash the head of the elephid that Gwen had left, drifting away on the astral plane. A secret cache was behind the mind flayer, and Belwar found his pack and that of his companions. Belwar could hear the commotion below, and it sounded like sweet, sweet music to his ears. <laughs> that made me chuckle. You, you know, you mentioned Belwar kind of like you know tiptoeing in, not tiptoeing, but you know tiptoeing into this little room. And it's like, oh, there's the other elephid, the one that uh, you know didn't get shredded by Gwen that coming right. on the, the lap of, and he's like, oh, got my stuff. Oh. And just yep. just just smashes its head out of out of just you know which you don't want it coming back and these things are deadly so it makes sense but it's like the way it was written made me go warmer <laughs> bink yeah totally extra XP <laughs> <laughs> we return to Driz to find him being bear hugged by the illithid that he ran into he could feel the tentacles beginning to make their way under his skin as it sought to feed on him. Uh... But a few well-placed knees to the groin loosened the grip on him. I loved that part. Because it was just like he analyzed the anatomy real quick and he's like, I'm going to take a chance here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to hope this works. That might be its groin. Now, I don't know that that's like uh, particularly accurate nowadays (laughs) as far as like uh, elithids having reproductive organs placed between the legs. Right. Um. Again, Baldur's Gate. Well, so I don't want to I get forget. too much into it, but <laughs> there's a there's a movie, and forgive me for not being able to amend it, but he's like, uh, it's like back in the eighties, and the guy's like, oh, you know, he kicks the monster or the alien in the knee, and it goes uh-huh. down like screaming, and the guy oh, says something, shoot. and he goes, well, not everybody's genitals are placed there, and it's like, oh, they're on the knee. <laughs> I remember that, but what was that from? I don't know. I was like, oh, I just vividly geez. always remember that scene. Oh, it's much shoot. like, uh, what is it? Wolfman's got nards from Monster Squad. <laughs> the hunter comes to the front of Drizzt's mind and refused to surrender to the pain, the agony that Drizzt was in. He tore the tentacles out with savage tenacity and held on to them as he pummeled the mind flare with his other hand. Until the life left its eyes, but I so mean, you imagine oh, that mind flare. It's got a, and the, and 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 the tentacles. They're just they're, oh, they're in the skin, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, here comes my meal. And the 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 eyes of Drizzt must have changed into the hunter. It just oh, they must have snatches yeah. that. And you like you. At what point do you think that, that mind flare was like, oh, and then he just <laughs> hangs on to basically its most dangerous weapon, and beats it with its other hand. Like wow, that is. That's savage. It's definitely a savage tenacity, but it's like that is just a whole other level of primal. Totally. Suddenly, Belwar throws down Driz's scimitars and then continues his fight while running down the ramp. 
He bowled into two mine flayers, but makes a quick escape after wounding them both as he continued to make his way down, killing a couple more mine flayers along the way. With scimitars in hand, Driz begins carving a path through the mine flayers, the hunter's primal mind working like a buffer against the mental attacks. And just as the hunter was on the verge of taking over, Driz manages to pull to the front as Belwar calls out to him. He was lying on the ground with a twisted ankle. Guinevar showed up and began to work as a scout to find a way out for all of them. Belwar and Driz realized that, that anger could beat or slow the effects of the mental assaults from the, the mind flayers. I thought that was interesting. Just the, the, the act of being angry slowed their assault. Yeah. But then, no, it was but neat then, because yeah. like I guess what, they're charming them and like enchanting or whatever. So like being so overtly angry, there's just no way. Right. It's like you can't you can't enchant somebody you're fighting. You know what I mean? Right. Like or charm. So then, you can't charm somebody you're you're in combat with. Right. And so at that point it's like, Drizzt, get angry. He's like, I can't just you know, like call on the hunter. It's like when uh <laughs> it just doesn't when, work that way. When the Hulk loses his ability, when I forget the scientist's <laughs> name, yeah. when he can't change um, into the Hulk, it's like he's it's not Bruce Banner. Banner, yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of like that. It's like, I can't just get angry on command for some reason. <laughs> Suddenly, the sound of footfalls let them know that they're being chased on their way out. They could hear the distinct whoop of the mental blasts getting closer. They came upon a large set of locked doors, and Belwar quickly set his enchanted hands to work. The door slowly gave way, and Belwar realized that it was barred from the other side. So it kind of like, I guess... But like dense or moves just a little bit and then realizes it's barricaded or barraged. Right. Yeah. So he continues smashing away without slowing down until he makes just enough room for them all to get through. Upon the other side, they worked quickly to put the doors back in place to stop their pursuers. So it's kind of like you bend the fence and slide under and pull the fence back. Yep. <laughs> Not that I uh, have ever done that in my life. <laughs> so they stood there making a plan, wondering about their friend Clacker. But a large boom on the other side of the door caused it to quiver and open just about an inch or two. So they had to leave as fast as possible. The hunter and Driz began fighting through the enemies in front of them. There were enemies everywhere. But suddenly, Belwar cried out, Clacker! And their friends showed up and, to, and told them the best exit to take. The companions began to move toward Clacker's directions, but Driz, Drizzt stood transfixed on something above. Belwar turned to look, and they saw a being atop another stairway, mowing through the mind flayers and slaves alike with deft maneuvers and precision strikes that could only have been done by one other person since Drizzt was down here. Zacnafane? <laughs> we go to chapter 20. It's Father, my father. So then Drizzt is down there, and suddenly he's just standing there, stunned at the sight of his father alive, barely able to speak. <clears throat> Belwar and Clacker urged Driz to flee, but he would not leave his father. Driz took off toward Zacnafane. Meanwhile, alarms blared in zombie Zack's mind as its target drew near. Like one of those romantic movies where the love interests slowly run towards one another on the beach. Except that zombie Zack was determined to drive his swords through his son. So not quite like that. Driz's elation at seeing his father wanes as he quickly forced to parry another incoming blow. He calls out at his father, demanding to know who it was as the swords rang out against one another. But no answers forthcoming from the spirit wraith. Driz delivered a mortal wound, but the wraith kept coming. And he realized at least a part of the horrid reality. This is not his father. Belwar and Clacker call out. They need to leave before the mind players regroup. 
Lacker has a moment of patch clarity, and the stones told him the Mind Flayer's movements. Drizzt, however, only had eyes for the monstrosity before him as he realizes that the abomination was the work of Matron Malice. Drizzt wants nothing more than to plunge his blades into the wraith and erase it from existence. Often, the best laid plans go awry, and Drizzt was intercepted by a mental blast from an ambushing illithid. But as Drizzt fell, a giant roar took up the cavern as the patch that Clacker used to be seized control, foiling Zombie Zack's attack by... Well, speaking with the stones and conjuring a wall to protect his friends. That's really oh, cool. Oh, I, 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 when I read about the patch, because I do the patch later, it really changed how I saw it. Because when I saw it oh, in my cool. head, I thought it was a lot like the deep gnomes where the walls, they would have just like slide out and then, you know, to, to uh -huh. blast, like they crafted it. Right. This is more of like a living thing that just slides out to basically like protect his huh. friends. And then all of a sudden this giant hook horror patch dashes up, grabs Drist and bolts. Nice. Chapter 21, back home at Menzo Barons and Matron Malice felt the zombie wraith's elation at having found its target. Praise Loth, he has Drizzt. The matron had dived deeper and deeper into Zincarla in the past days, an obsession of sorts, and the, well, the family had noticed. But Matron Malice was too entranced to see that they had noticed. Suddenly her rage spikes as Zacnafane was stopped from killing Drizzt. She felt her, her very life being stolen away by Zencarla. Every thought, every hope of her existence hinged on the spirit wraith's success. She saw her emaciated form in the mirror and sent everyone away. She suddenly realized the similarities between her and Matron Bayonray. Withered and ugly was her future as she was wrought dry by the possibilities and demands of her station in her house. This was her duty, but this was Drizzt's fault. More than anything in this world, she wanted Drizzt dead. I thought it was cool to, to compare like her like being emaciated and losing sustenance basically like you know life right. force and thinking that that's what happened to Matron Malice. And we get uh, to that Bain later. Oh, yeah, sorry, Matron Bayon, right? And we get to yeah. that later in I think the next part. I guess but, I'm, that's in part 5, yeah. Yeah. But it it was really cool for her to look at it and be like, "Oh, I'm going to be shriveled dry like a prune. I am going to look like Matron Bayon, right?" Oh, Bain. <laughs> I was like I was like, "Oh, oh, subtle jab." <laughs> Drizzt and friends run through the tunnels. Belwar's falling behind because, you know, short little legs and damaged body wouldn't let him keep up. But Clacker was quick to toss him on his shoulder and not slow down for the pace at all. They come for a short rest and Drizzt finally explained the situation with his former father, current zombie, to his <laughs> friends about how his mother had sacrificed his father to the Spider Queen and the abomination that now chases them. Drizzt wondered how the battle ended earlier and found out that Clackard had used the powers of a patch to help him. They were a peaceful race, only desiring to work the stone. It was their calling and their love. The Petch were brothers with the earth. They aided it, and it aided them, out of affection for one another. The difference between a Petch and a Deep Gnomes was how they communicated with the sentient earth. The Sferfnebli would hear the distant song of the earth, but the Petch could speak to it directly. Suddenly, with a snarl, Clacker felt his hook horror side struggling for control and feared he would lose this battle. At the least, he knew he was losing what he'd gained in the cavern. And the Hookar, which was formerly a patch, begged to die. Yeah, and it's not the first time he did, right? No. No, and it's like replete through this part, again, is the theme yeah. of helplessness. I thought that yeah. was apt and, and really cool. I mean, because yeah. it sets up the, the finale, the, the penultimate moment, the finale, the next part, 
really good because it's you're seeing all these despair, helplessness, hopelessness. Yep. It's all just kind of like stuff's going bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, totally. Where are our heroes <laughs> going to go on next week's episode? Uh, I'm so excited to get to part five, but we still have to get through a couple a couple bits of this show. Uh, let's go ahead and move on to the dim light reel. The dim light reel is where we cast darkness on our favorite parts from this week, and we dim light all of our favorite characters, events, descriptions, and more. My favorite visual this week comes from the end of chapter 18 going into the beginning of chapter 19. Uh, so, but actually, right before we get to that, let's talk about Gwen a little bit here. Remember, she's back in the astral plane. She's going through this cycle of hunting this elk over and over and over, which I thought was just like really interesting, that alone. Uh, but Gwen recognized that Drizzt must be in trouble because these mind flayers were like stalking her. She knew they were there. And mind flayers always mean, always mean bad news, right? Mm-hmm. What I found uh, really cool about the cycles, it's like it wasn't Gwen catching the elk. They never right. mentioned the murder or the, the eating. Right. It was just the hunt, the chase. Yeah, I thought that was really cool too. So definitely something I need to look into at some point. Uh, but yeah, these mind flayers, what you said, she ended up killing one of them and then basically following that silvery cord. It's like, well, she like snaps the cord and the one just kind of right. like, it, uh, what is it? Um, Sandra Bullock and gravity just cut oh, the cord yeah, yeah, just yeah. away. George Clooney going <laughs> off into space. <laughs> oh, is it George Clooney that went? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Just drifting away. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, she follows that, uh, cord back toward the, uh, material plane. Uh, and eventually she noted the danger that she and Drizzt were in and recognized almost immediately what would hurt the mind flayers the most by diving into the massive, fleshy, bulbous, central brain. Such a great descriptive word. Fleshy, (laughs) bulbous brain. Ah. (laughs) The brain attempted to reason. It even tried pleading with the feline, but her primal ferocity did not allow for mental, mental, intrusions uh the panther dug up uh dug on savagely and was buried in the spurting slime that's a quote from the book the panther dug on savagely and was buried in the spurting slime loved that uh Uh, kind of like hear it in your head without actually having a sound that's spurting like oh 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 just just mm." spurting that's a pretty bad one Uh, And then later, I loved this part. Gwen was pouncing from the folds of the brain, much like a toddler from the depths of a ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) Except, you know. All the elephants are like, get off of there. Get off of there. No, come here. Get off. Stop. Stop. (laughs) Except, you know, um, this cat was covered in flesh and blood. (laughs) Uh, She jumped out, made an attack, only to disappear back into the, uh, the mound of torn flesh and gore. This was just, this was my favorite scene this week because, well, without Guinevar, like the title of this whole part is helpless, right? You're looking mm-hmm. at them and like you were saying, they're going, they're, they're not having an ounce of their own personality at any point. And it's just, you're feeling completely helpless. And yeah, just the whole time I'm thinking like, who's going to save them? It's got to be Guinevar, right? Like Guinevar is the, who else can release Drizzt and his friends? 
And I mean, I guess there was the off chance that Zachnafane could have eventually made his way in and killed the hive mind brain just like in his attempt to get to Drizzt. Drizzt is right there. There is that off chance, right? Um, but I, did, I wasn't banking on that. Uh, I did. <laughs> I loved reading about Gwen coming up, uh, coming to the rescue here. So uh, her way of rescuing the group was just so Dungeons and Dragons. Just having this giant cat di- diving through this soft tissue uh, of this brain and using her bonus action to go back hot and hide back into the folds of the brain was just such a creative way uh, of dealing with this encounter. You know, I'm not huge on blood and gore when it comes to movies and stuff like that, but visualizing this scene didn't seem so bad to me only because of the almost ridiculous amounts of blood that there must have been, right? Um, Kill Bill comes to mind. I'm, I'm sure oh, you've seen Kill Bill before. Any Tarantino film. Yeah, right. He, he oh, over- yeah, totally. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Kill Bill, it's a live action movie. It has a lot of anime kung fu type aspects to it. Uh, so when someone loses a limb from the main character's katana slicing it off, the person loses about like five gallons of blood. It just like starts pouring from the <laughs> from their severed limb uh, until, you know, they just drop down dead. But it's, I don't know. It didn't really, it doesn't really make that much sense to me. But for some reason, I'm okay with a scene like this. Um, I guess I'm not well, I mean, actually it's seeing it, right? It's a giant right? disembodied brain too. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's not right. like it's, you know, you're, you're emotionally tied to this thing. The, the mind flayers are emotionally tied to this thing. <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. But I mean, like put me down in front of a, uh, like a world war two movie or something like that. And I'm probably going to lose my lunch over that. But you know, reading something like this, I can, uh, Oh man, I absolutely loved it. It was so like gruesome yet comical in some ways. And like I said, oh, yeah. just so D and D. You feel like Gwen's over there, like trying to, like you know, like like a cat using the litter box, like dig, 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 and then the brain convulses and pushes her up a little bit, but she doesn't want to get hit by projectiles, yeah. so she hops over to the other side into the fold, yep. like whoop, can't get me, dig, 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 and meanwhile there's just blood slime sprayed right. all over the place, like so. Oh, so, so that was cool. that was definitely my favorite scene from part four here. <laughs> nice, nice. That's a very, very good dim light. I like it. My dim light is the arena fight. <clears throat> I'm a okay. big fan of gladiatorial combat. At the beginning of chapter 16, we get a real cool intro to just such a scene. So, as would, Bellwater. I'm okay. sorry, I need to interrupt. So, would you say that you think about Rome multiple times a day? I mean, probably at least once every other day. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Big into the philosophies, the Greeks, the West. <laughs> Forget what that was from, where they were asking that. What was that? I don't know. It's been a thing where people, oh, are, making, okay. people are making a bunch of jokes. It's some kind of study that went out that said, like, men think about Rome so often, every like, more often than women do. Like, they think about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I like, think about it far more than most people I know I'd probably. <laughs> like, the aqueduct is so cool. Anyway. anyway. <laughs> so, Belwar hears the words, do come out inside of his mind the telepathic voice of one of his masters like i said earlier the iron portcullis raises and he makes his way down a short passageway into an arena filled with several dozen mind flayers seated looking down from above with their expressionless octopus faces 
Across the way, a huge ogre comes out of a similar tunnel on the other end, and Belwar heard his master speak again. This evil ogre beast has threatened me, my brave smurf, smurf Neblin champion. Do destroy it for me. Belwar needed no further prompting, nor did the ogre who received a, a similar message from its master. And I thought this scene was really cool. I mean, you've set the scene for a battle, and I, I had to stop as I began writing this part of the outline. I mean, Belwar's a badass for sure, right? Mm -hmm. But he's a deep gnome. So he's about three to four feet tall and around 40 pounds, right. according to Monsters of the Multiverse book. Okay. Ogres, well, they're about seven to eight feet tall so a good... and a, a base weight of 450 pounds. Okay, so two times his height, ten times his weight. Ah, this <laughs> ogre was described as huge. Oh, so man. He, so he's going to be a good bit bigger than the minimum. And, and and this is the fight that we get to watch. Oh, man, he's going to get smushed. <laughs> right? Just by accident, he's getting smushed. <laughs> right. So as they come together, though, Belwar, he dives to the side and he uses his hammer to smash the knee of the ogre. And they said it's it sounded like a crack of lightning in the book. Right, I thought it was right. great. And then he uses his pick hand axe and catches him in the meaty backside. The monster stumbled and Belwar threw himself at it to trip it up. He then pops up and climbed the ogre toward its head. The ogre, though, he, he manages to grab onto him, but Belwar digs his pickaxe hand into its chest. Now, ogres aren't known for intelligence, so he roars in pain and he continues throwing Belwar, which rips this huge gash in its own chest. Oh. Right? So then as he does this, he kind of like reflexively jerks and, and flails, and a knee from the ogre just happens to knock Belwar to the ground, but he pops right back up, eager to do nothing more than please his master. Kill it, comes the command. And Belwar never hesitates. The ogre is flat on his back, clutching at its chest in vain, trying to stop the blood that's flowing from its mortal wound. But Belwar was not satisfied because this wretched thing had threatened his master. The most honored burrow warden charges straight to the top of the ogre's head with his hammer hand leading the way. Three quick punches soften the monster's skull and then the pickaxe dives in for the killing blow. And the doomed ogre jerked wildly in the late spasms of its life. And Belwar here shows why his value is so high at the slave auction earlier as he overcomes this huge size uh, differential right. to decimate this ogre with hardly any damage on his part except for the random knee that caught him. Right. And the Mind Flayers, they come off as being just completely insidious here, right? Because they're staring down and they're gambling gold and potions. And I get a real, like, Kumite feeling. Uh, the tournament from the movie Bloodsport. Okay. With uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. If you've never seen it, highly recommend it. Check the movie out. But anyway, they're they're gambling and they're all smoking cigarettes and like five dollars, ten dollars, thousand dollars, ten. And like, <clears throat> for me though, it's picturing these these just giant squid face guys and the tentacles just you know randomly flipping and rolling right. around. <laughs> but their fingers always doing that thing they do where they're like yes and they clench hands for no, and just exchanging and, and lumping up all these things that we would look at as treasures, mm -hmm. right? But to them, because they're the magicians, it's going to be bottles and rarities substances and gold right just all these other things like tombs of knowledge and stuff that are going to be so much more valuable to them right so i thought it's, hmm. it's interesting to see here how belwar's masters control his mind and lead him into the fight and he literally changes belwar's emotions at a whim and is able to make belwar go against his more peaceful nature 
Now, Belwar is a great warrior and everything else, so peaceful, but he would right. not have just randomly went in there and savagely totally. beat up that yeah. ogre. Belwar, though, he only wanted to please his master no matter the consequences of his action. And I mean, that, that's a terrifying enough thought, but then right at the end of the passage, they mention, like I said earlier, the body of the ogre was also part of the deal. I forgot no about reason that. right. to waste a good yeah. meal. I forgot that that's how they said that. Yeah, the the body of the ogre was also part of the bet. That's interesting. Now, I mean, um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I don't know. I feel like even without mind control, they would have attacked each other. You know, I don't. I don't know. If, I if, don't think he would have backed down from the fight. Clearly not. But I don't think he would have, you know, went as far as he did. I mean, if it's his own survival he's looking at, maybe, he, you know, they get him to fight. But yeah, I don't think he would right. have, you know, went at uh, it. Maybe he without, wouldn't have actually killed it. Maybe it would just uh Yeah. Um, he might have also fought a little bit more um, conscious of his own attack. Like he just went at it with 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 reckless abandon and no yeah. no fear. He he went at it like Guinevar went at the central brain, just forty foot dive, <laughs> free falling, uh, all sploosh. in, <laughs> sploosh, uh, also, splurt. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little more accurate. <laughs> all right, let's keep this show moving. Uh, we'll go right into the Dungeon Delve and try to link this week's uh, chapters with Dungeons & Dragons. All right, the Dungeon Delve. It's the part of the show where we link this week's reading with our favorite tabletop role-playing game. And I would have loved to do a dungeon delve on mind flayers, but I know I already did that back in book one, like I said earlier. Uh, so, so technically in... you loved doing a dungeon delve on the mind flayers. Oh, totally. Absolutely. <laughs> and of course, now that we know about this like central brain, like I feel like I should do it again. But uh, instead I thought it would be more interesting to talk about. Uh, again, I'm pretty sure mind flayers come from the astral plane. I'm pretty sure that's where they call, that's what they call home. Um, now, if it's not, I'm sorry, um, but I'm going to talk about the astral plane. Uh, so various planes were described in the D&D context back in 1977. That's where they were first described, I should say, uh, when Gygax published a paper titled Planes, the Concepts of Spatial, Temporal, and Physical Relationships in D&D. Within the paper, Gygax went on to describe a similar universe uh, that still exists today in the context of D&D, like uh, the universe build that we use in 5e, right? Uh, where we have a material plane that is sandwiched between a positive and negative plane. In 5e, these would be the Feywild and the Shadowfell. Uh, around them are then the elemental planes, fire, earth, air, and water. Uh, and then where they meet, you would have like the similar, like uh, where earth and water planes meet. There would be like a mud plane sort of thing. Uh, but oh, he, right. We had mentioned that earlier with the um, the, the Frost guy uh, a while back. The, oh, I forgot about that. But yeah, I guess we devil. did. That's right. That's right. Uh, he even goes into the outer planes where the gods reside. He talks about that as well. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, reading more about these planes within the 5e context, you can read about them in the Dungeon Master Guide. They start on page 43. 
As for the astroplane, you can find so many resources on incorporating planar travel in the astroplane uh, or to the astroplane uh, in your D&D games. You can find so many resources online as well as within the Dungeon Master Guide. Uh, there seems to be mainly two ways that you're able to get into the astroplane. Either you can physically enter it by finding a portal or you can go into it mentally uh, via a spell such as astral projection. And when you travel via astral projection, you possess this silvery cord we were talking about that we saw in this in this um, part of the book. And that silvery cord runs from your projection into the astral plane. It runs from that projection back to your physical body that remains in the material world. So I thought it was interesting. And basically, like if that cord is broken... You die. It's sort of like, uh, uh, like you were saying, in Gravity, George Clooney floats off into this into space. What came <laughs> to my mind? <laughs> what came to my mind was uh, the Matrix, where like if you die in the Matrix, you die in real life. Oh, okay, right? yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but don't be too alarmed. That silver cord can only be damaged by weapons specifically built for cutting those cords, like a legendary silver sword of the Githyanki. Or the Psychic Winds, which I'll talk about later. Or Excellent. a 600-pound panther, apparently. <laughs> <clears throat> of course, if you travel there via portal, you don't have that silver cord. So if you die, you die in real life as well, because that is your real life. You just Your physical form is in the astral plane. I find that interesting, that so that if Guinevar would die in the astral plane, she would die, die. But she dies ridiculously amounts in our realm, and she's fine. Well, yeah, I, I feel like there's got to be something else going on there because she is a magical creature. So, right. But I don't know. I don't know. Well, I would assume like, if she died in the astral plane, she would, would be die dead. in both realms, right? <laughs> we die in this Correct. realm, we're dead. We right. go to that realm and die, we're still dead. <laughs> right. <laughs> I guess we're, we're fragile mortal creatures. <laughs> Shucks. <clears throat> so the astral plane is, unlike the material plane, in many ways, solid materials don't seem to act as normal solids. They're almost more fluid-like. Uh, a day in the astral plane can be a thousand years on the material plane, so time seems to stop there. Um, relatively to the material plane, that is. And when you want to talk, when you want to walk somewhere, uh, all you have to do is think about it. Oh, and of course, like I was saying before, there's the psychic winds. Here we have, like on Earth, in a material plane, we have normal wind, like a breeze. And it doesn't usually hurt. But in the astral plane, there's it's a chaotic place where there's this type of mental energy that rages across the plane. And if you're unlucky enough to find yourself in a psychic storm that has all this psychic wind... Uh, then you're going to have to make an intelligence saving throw. Upon a failure, you roll on two different tables, or the DM can roll on two different tables. Uh, one of those tables provides a location effect, like getting lost or you're just like blown off course or something like that, while the okay. other table provides a negative mental effect, like short-term madness or even long-term madness. Uh, that doesn't sound very fun at all. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> uh, also, throughout the astral plane, there are colored pools that are able to be found. And those colored pools allow for planar travel, 
from the astral plane to the various other planes. Uh, so this is why I added it to my D and D campaign. So I don't want to talk too to, much about to it. Your, wait, wait a minute. Your D and D campaign. <laughs> well, yeah. Like I don't want to talk about it too much since you're currently playing <laughs> in it. Uh, but last time we played, uh, you guys were actually in the astral plane, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I think you guys were on your way to find it. You're like, uh, I mean, again, this is heavily homebrewed. So I have the astral plane split up into like sectors. And then you guys saw a dragon in the one sector. And mm -hmm. then you establish that that dragon was evil. And then it's like, oh, well, there's also a dragon over in this other sector. But you're getting like good vibes from it. So you were going to go check it out. But getting those good vibes. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Um, but already you guys have encountered the psychic winds a couple times. Um, I mean, and... we don't know that, but yeah. Well, that, that's exactly what it was, though. It was just this right. assault of mental energy that caused, I think, Rock to get paralyzed both times, if I recall. Yep, Rock, I don't think Rock <laughs> had very good saving throws on those. <laughs> Luckily, my druid has immensely good um, the, the, the saving throw. Intelligence, yeah. Intelligence, intelligence yeah. <laughs> uh, good in both, but the one I'm, I'm really through the roof on. <laughs> so I will say that including the astral plane in my D&D campaign seemed very daunting for me as a young DM, but I had an idea, you know, like I, I really wanted to use it. So I did my research again. I homebrewed it a little bit. It really doesn't hurt. And I have been very happy with how things have been going. So has anyone else out there been going to the astral plane in any of their games? Let us know. Get on that Discord. Send us an email. Let us know because I'd love to hear how you guys um, handle it as well. Anyway, yeah. that's my I mean, it's just an interesting place. I mean, intriguing all around. Like, I'm going to go read about it when we're done. <laughs> just to just sit there and, you know, go further into it. I, yeah. I find this stuff really, really cool. Yeah. You know, to think somebody just sat around one day and was like, all right, so this place actually connects. And you know what? When you get there, ah, as a matter of fact, and just, ah, just, it, it's so impressive. Yeah. So for me, doing my Dungeon Delve, I decided that we're going to go with the patch. And mind you, up until nice. I say patch, I say patch every time because I came across the thing that told me how to say it phonetically. Because until then, he had been a peck every single time <laughs> in my head. So, oh, trying so, to... <laughs> you, so you did verify that it is patch. Well, there's the sites I did the research on. Yeah, it came uh, okay, up as okay. P-E-T-C-H or something like that. Okay. Or something like okay. there's an inflection right. yeah, in yeah, there yeah. that I'm probably missing. But, oh, it, maybe. but more more petch than peck. Gotcha. <laughs> so Clacker took up a little space in my heart during this book. So I thought it'd be fun to look into the race of the petch just a little more. So petch are small in size. They're, they're a little taller and usually broader than deep gnomes. Averaging three and a half to four feet in height, weighing about 100 to 120 pounds. Their flesh is almost as hard as granite, so they get a natural 15 armor class. I say 15, Look, if you look up Petch, I don't think there's anything solidified there, so it's it's kind of hit or miss. A little homebrew, one went up oh, to... Oh, okay, so... I think it was 17, Gotcha. it said okay. on the thing, but it, it's gotcha. bonuses that it gave away were ridiculous. Like oh, plus okay. Plus six on some stuff. So I, I'm going with the 15 yeah. on the the armor class. I'll try to get this on the creature feature. Nice. I have a. Oh, I don't know if I have a stat block for this one. I have to check it out because okay. Like the usually I have an image that I try to you know snip. Oh yeah, snip at least tool. do that. Yeah. But for this, it, it was 
Yeah, you'll you'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they often wear thick beards, they have like orangish or reddish hair, but their eyes are large pupilless orbs. That's interesting. Because yeah. the uh, um, mind flayers were also pupilless. Mm-hmm. Well, I, know- I don't. I don't know if it's all about an underdark thing because obviously they're they're not all pupilless. That, but that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, this race in particular, they they can see both uh, infrared and ultraviolet in their eyes. Oh, interesting. Okay, but they have no pupils. So I, I, I it's just I imagine it's a very haunting look when you compare them. Like, oh, they look kind of like a dwarf, except right. yeah, no, not when you see their, their, their eyes. <laughs> nope, nope, like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you know, they probably look like from Supernatural when you saw the demons and their eyes are all giant oh, black, yeah. just yep, painted yep. out. So they live to be about 200 years old, and they mature somewhere around 35. Patch are skilled miners and stonemasons, and it mentions that they blend their narrow entranceways of their homes into the living rock that can only be seen from exactly the right angle, hmm. hiding their existence, and they only use combat as a last resort. So I find that really cool because it's almost like Hogwarts, right? You know, they got to be right at uh, entrance nine and three quarters. You can't see how to get into it, right? They, so right. Pets are able to take what looks like a solid rock wall to me or you, and they bend it so that, you know, you walk by it thinking it, but there's just this little nook that they go in right. and out of because they're all about camouflage and not hiding, so but cool. avoiding. Right. So they utilize picks as their primary weapons. They can use their natural affinity with the stone to their advantage. We saw this when Clacker throws up the stone wall to stall Zack and save Drizzt. Pets are considered considerate, kind, cautious, industrious, clever, friendly, and elusive. Now, according to the homebrew that I found at 5ESRD.com, that's how far I had to go to find something like this. <laughs> I don't know what that stands for other than fifth edition. Either. But the patch has a natural 15 armor, average of 33 hit points, a challenge rating of 3, speed of 20 feet, they can climb at 10 feet. Uh, For skills, they get a plus 5 in athletics, a plus 3 to perception, dark vision up to 120 feet, passive perception of 13. Interestingly, this site describes them as natives to the elemental plane of Earth. And I thought it was a clever way to explain how they're able to work the stone like clay and not quite bend it to their will, eh, but kind of. Yeah. So from the descriptions of them, you can you could definitely see why Driz was able to poke so much fun at Belwar because it does seem like they sound a lot like deep gnomes. Yeah, right. Except again, deep gnomes, they'll be like, you know, standing and pickaxing and then pummeling the stone, whereas Petch almost like sing to it or like they're in, in touch oh, to it because he asks him, he goes, you talk about the earth like it's sentient. And he goes, because it is. Right. And I, so to yeah. them, it says, you know, like they can speak directly to it, whereas the gnomes, they can kind of hear it way off. So like, you know, Belwar is able to to hear the stone. Right. But the stone is able to hear the patch. And it makes sense if they were earth, you know, if they were part earth elemental. Right. You know, not quite like the, the earth elemental we saw earlier that was the big stone slab, but in a similar way that they it says that they come from that element to this element to right. work the stone, gems, and everything else. And it was like, yeah. oh, that's kind of cool. That is cool. That's very cool. I've never heard of a patch outside of the context of this book. 
So That's I, like, it is not the easiest thing to find you some five E <laughs> stats for. So we can attempt to put it together, but you might actually have to make me a stat block thing for the oh, PDF. I, if you if you share the link, I have a place where I can do that. So excellent, excellent. We can get that up there. Because <laughs> otherwise, I was like, bro, I had uh, pulled from several different sites to slap it together. <laughs> right, but you said like there was also like a picture. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Nice, awesome. It's a pretty cool one because it's got the way it, the, again it shows the stone, but the stone's not like a okay. wall; it's wavy. And gotcha. so it's like, there's no real ridges or edges. Right. And that's where it was like first really occurred to me. It's like, oh, like, so they mean like this, like they use the stone like water. It's like a wave. It, like, it right. morphs. Interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, I imagine that the picture that I have in my head of the patch is nowhere near what they, what they're actually supposed to look like. Um, but I don't know. That's what it is in my head for now. But anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank everyone for listening. Remember that if you like the show, give us a five-star rating. Also, make sure you're getting the most out of this podcast. Pick up a copy of the book and read along. Hey, if you don't have time to read, don't worry. There's always the audiobook. You can pick that up digitally <laughs> and listen to that during your commute, at work, at the gym, wherever you are. And when you've read the next part, shoot us an email at drewisdoneright at gmail.com. Or you can log on to our Discord to join in on the ongoing discussion. Remember, we would love to hear from you. As we wind down the fourth part of this book, well, we're almost at the end. And then it'll be on to the last part of the trilogy. Justin, you mentioned before maybe an episode zero for the book. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, we'll totally have to do that. Yeah. Excellent. I was like, I think it's a great idea. And yeah. for you know, everybody at home, we're going to continue to try and innovate. Innovate. Goodness gracious. <laughs> we're going to try to innovate this product for you all as we go. You know, trying to make it better and better every time that we Absolutely. record. Absolutely. And if you want to join the list of our patrons, you can use this link in the episode description that says, support this podcast. Everything that you give goes towards the show. You know what? Every little bit helps. We'll see you next week. Unless you're getting caught up, then just look, leave it rolling, and we'll see you in a few moments. <laughs> Farewell until then. Play fair. Be well.